Chapter Fifteen of *The Tiger of Mysore* by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. *The Tiger of Mysore* by G. A. Henty. Chapter Fifteen. Escape. Annie Mansfield was not long before she mastered her emotions. She had learned to do so in a bitter school. Beaten for the slightest fault, or at the mere caprice of one of her many mistresses, she had learned to suffer pain without a tear, to assume a submissive attitude under the greatest provocation, to receive, without attempting to defend herself, punishment for faults she had not committed, and to preserve an appearance of cheerfulness when her heart seemed breaking at the hopelessness of any deliverance from her fate. For the last six months she had been specially unhappy, for when Seringapatam had been besieged, she had hoped that when it was captured her countrymen would search the palace, and see that this time no English captive remained behind. Her disappointment, then, when she heard that peace had been made, and that the English army was to march away without even an attempt to see that the condition for the release of captives was faithfully carried out, had for a time completely crushed her, and all hope had forsaken her. Thus, then, while she had been for a moment overwhelmed at finding that her preserver from the tiger was a countryman in disguise, and that he was willing to make an attempt to rescue her, yet in a few minutes she stifled her sobs, hastily thrust back the hair that had fallen over her face, uncoiled herself from her crouching position in the angle of the divan, and rose to her feet. "'I can hardly believe it to be true,' she said in a low voice. "'Oh, Sahib, do you really mean what you say?' And are you willing to run the risk of taking me away with you?' "'Of course I am,' Dick said heartily. "'You don't suppose that an Englishman would be so base as to leave a young countrywoman in the hands of these wretches? I do not think that there is much risk in it. Of course, you will have to disguise yourself, and there may be some hardships to go through, but once away from here we are not likely to be interfered with. You see, my friend and I are officers of the palace, and no one would venture to question us as we should be supposed to be travelling upon the Sultan's business. There is peace at present, and although Tippu may intend some day or other to fight again, everything is settling down quietly. Traders go about the country unquestioned. There is plenty of traffic on the roads from one town to another. And so long as your disguise is good enough to prevent you from being recognized as a white, there is no great danger in travelling in Mysore than there would be down in Karnatik. Annie stood before him with her fingers playing nervously with each other, long-trained in habits of implicit obedience, and to stand in an attitude of deep respect before her numerous mistresses. She was in ignorance whether she ought to speak or not. She had been but a child of six when she had been carried off. Her remembrance of English manners had quite died out, and the habit of silent submission had become habitual to her. Dick was puzzled by her silence. "'Of course, Annie,' he said at last, "'I don't want you to go with me if you would rather stay here, "'or if you are afraid of the risk of travelling." She looked up with frightened eyes. "'Oh, Sahib, it, it's not that. I would go even if I felt sure I should be found out and cut to pieces. Anything would be better than this. I, I am not afraid at all, but forgive me, Sahib. I don't know how to thank you. I don't know what is proper to say. It's all so strange and so wonderful.' Oh, it's all right, Annie, Dick said cheerfully. Of course, you'll feel it a little strange just at starting. Well, in the first place, you must call me Dick instead of calling me Sahib. 
and in the next place you must talk to me freely as a friend, and not stand as if I were your master. While we are on this journey together, consider me as sort of a big brother. When we get down to the Ghats, I'll hand you over to the care of my mother, who is living at present at Tripatli with her brother the Rajah. Now sit down again, and let us make our arrangements. When we have done that, we can talk, if there's time. Now, how am I to let you know if I have to go away suddenly? Do you always get out at this time of a morning? No, not always, but very often. I always go down at twelve o'clock with some of the other slave-girls to fetch the food and sweetmeats for the ladies of the harem. Well, you must always manage, even if you are not set out, to look out through that doorway where you met me at eight o'clock in the morning. If we have anything particular to say to you, Surajah, that's my friend, you know, will be there. Which way do you go out from the harem to fetch the food? Not from that door, but from the one nearest to the kitchen. You go right down that corridor, and then take the first turning to the right. There's a flight of stairs at its end. We come out at that door just at its head. At the foot of the stairs there is a long passage, and at the end of that is a large room with tables on which the dishes are placed in readiness for us to bring back. Well, if it's necessary to speak to you at once, one of us will meet you in the passage between the bottom of the stairs and the room where the food is. If you see one of us, you will know that the matter is urgent, and as soon as you can possibly slip away, you must come here. In the evening you had better again look out from the door where you first met me. Now, as to the disguise, it will be better for you to go as a boy. It would be strange to see a girl riding between two of the officers of the palace. You won't mind that, will you? Not at all, Sahib. Not at all, Dick, he corrected. Well, I will have a dress ready for you here. You'll find it in that corner, and there will be a bottle of stain on the table. It will be only necessary for you to color your neck, hands, and feet, but you must cut off your hair behind to a level with your ears, so that none of it will show below the turban. You must do that, of course, before you stain your neck, and must stain the skin where you have cut off your hair also. I am giving you these instructions now, because when the time comes there may not be a minute to spare, though of course I hope there will be no desperate hurry. Oh, I understand, she said, and will look out for you three times a day. Of course, he went on, if you are suddenly told that you are to be given to anyone, you must slip out at once and come here. You will find everything ready for you to disguise yourself, and you must do that at once and wait here till one of us comes. Even if you are missed, it will be some time before any search is made, and it would be thought much more likely that you had gone down into the town than that you were hiding in the palace. So there would be no chance of their looking for you here before we return. Anyhow, we shall be able to have another talk before Tipu comes back. We shall be here every morning until nine, and if you are able to get away again, come and see us. It will be better, perhaps, for you not to wait any longer now, I suppose you have been charged with some message or other, and it would not do for you to be too long gone." The girl stood up at once. "'I have to go down to the peta to get some sewing silk to match this,' and she drew out a small fragment of yellow silk. "'Very well, then. You had better go and do it, or they may think that you are too long away. Good-bye, Annie. I hope that in another week or ten days at the latest I shall have you out of this,' and he held out his hand to her. She took it timidly and would have raised it to her forehead, but Dick said, laughing, "'That is not the way, Annie. English girls don't treat their friends as if they were lords and masters. They just shake hands with them as if it were two men or two girls.' "'I shall know better in time,' she said with a faint smile. 
though her eyes were full of tears. I want to do something, though I don't know what. You saved my life from the tiger, and now you're going to save me again. I'd like to throw myself down and kiss your feet. You'd make me horribly uncomfortable if you did anything of that sort, Annie. I can understand that you feel strange and out of your element at present, but you'll soon get over that when you come to know me better. There, good-bye, lassie. I hope to see you again tomorrow or next day, and then you'll be able to tell me more about yourself. Is the coast clear, Surajah? Surajah looked out through the curtains. There is no one in sight, he said a moment later. The girl passed silently out and went down the corridor. Surajah returned from his post by the door. The poor girl is shy and awkward as yet, Dick said, but I think she'll be plucky enough when the time comes. You heard what we said. The first thing will be to get her disguise ready for her. What do you think? Had we better take Ibrahim with us? I think he is to be trusted. Oh, I'm sure he is, Surajah agreed. He's a Hindu of Korg, and was carried away as a slave six years ago. In the first place he will be delighted at the prospect of getting away, and in the next I am sure that he is very fond of you. But there is no occasion to tell him that you are English. No, it will be time enough to do that when we get over the ghats. It will be better that he should get the disguise. In the first place he will know exactly what is wanted, and in the next it would look rum for either of us to be buying such a thing. Of course we could ask Petrob to get it for us, but if we take Ibrahim with us, he may as well buy it. We shall want a couple of more horses. These, of course, we can buy ourselves, and saddles and things. When we have got them, we had better leave them at some place on the other side of the river. Petrob would help us there. He's sure to know someone who will look after them for a few days. Then Ibrahim and the girl can start together, go over there and saddle them, so as to be in readiness to mount directly we come along. We'll stop at the wood and dig up the caskets. There's nothing like taking them away with us when there's a chance, and it's not likely that we shall come back to Seringapatam again. It would be like putting our heads in a tiger's den. When Ibrahim brought in the dishes for their meal, Dick said, Go down and get your own food, Ibrahim, and when you have done, come back here again. I want to have a talk with you. They had just finished their meal when Ibrahim returned. Ibrahim, would you be glad of a chance of getting away from here and returning to your own country? Oh, I would have given anything to do so, my lord, Ibrahim said, before I was ordered to attend upon you. But I am happy now. You are kind to me, and I should not like to leave your service. But if I were going too, Ibrahim, then, my lord, I would go with you anywhere if you would take me. Well, Ibrahim, we feel sure that we can trust you, and so I may tell you that I think it likely we shall very shortly go away. You know what the Sultan is. One day he gives you honors and rewards, the next he disgraces you, and perhaps sends you into the ranks of the army, perhaps has you thrown to the tigers. We do not care to live under such conditions, and we mean in a few days to slip away and go to our friends down the ghats. You can come with us, if you like. I would go with you to the end of the world, my lord, Ibrahim exclaimed earnestly. To go with you and be a free man and not a slave would be almost too great happiness. Well, then, that's settled. Now, Ibrahim, we are not going alone. We are going to take with us a young white slave in the harem and restore her to her friends. I want you to get a disguise for her. Let it be a dress like your own, long white trousers to the ankle, a shirt and tunic with waist belt, also the stuff for a turban. That you must wind in proper folds, as she would not be able to do it herself. I also want a bottle of stain for the skin. I will get them, my lord. How tall is she? 
about half a head shorter than you are. She's about the size of an average Hindu woman. Shall I get the things at once, my lord? Yes, you had better get them to-day. You may leave at any time, and it's as well to have them in readiness. We shall buy two horses, one for each of you, and have them taken across the river. You can ride, I suppose. Oh, yes, I used to ride when I was a boy, before Tippoo came down and killed my father and mother and brought me up here. Well, my lord, want me to take the horses across? I will tell you that in the morning, Ibrahim. We are going down into the town now to inquire about them, but we shall not buy any until to-morrow, as we shall have to make arrangements for them to be kept for us until we want them. They did not go out until it was dark, and then took their way to Petrov's house. The old Hindu was in. "'I am glad to see you, sahibs,' he said to Dick, as they entered. "'I have always fears that ill may in some way befall you.' "'We are going to leave, Petrov. Surajah had two days ago to go up to see four English prisoners put to death at one of the hill-forts. Next time I may be ordered on such a duty. I could not carry it out, and you know that refusal would probably mean death. Moreover, we are convinced that we have no means here of finding out what captives may still be in Tippoo's hands, and have therefore determined to leave. We are going to take with us our servant, Ibrahim, who is a slave from Kurg, and will, we know, be faithful to us and also a young English girl who has, for the last eight years, been a slave in Tippoo's harem. She will go with us in the disguise of a boy. This Ibrahim is getting for us. We are going to buy a couple of horses for them, and we shall make straight down the ghats where I shall leave the girl in my mother's care. It is a good action, the Hindu said gravely. Now, in the first place, Pertab, would you like to go with us? Riding, as we shall do, as two of the officers of the palace, it's not likely that any questions whatever will be asked, and certainly we shall have no difficulty until it comes to crossing the frontier. No, Sahib, I thank you, but I am too old now for any fresh change. I have friends here, and have none below the ghats. Nothing save the rescue of my daughter from the harem would induce me to move now, and of that there is little chance. She will by this time have become reconciled to her fate, and would probably not care to escape were an opportunity offered to her. Besides, with only me to protect her, what would she do elsewhere? A few months, and she might be left alone in the world. As to that, Dick said, I could promise her the protection of my aunt, the wife of the Raja of Tripatli. After the kindness that you have shown to us, she would, I am sure, gladly take her into her service, and there will be no difficulty about a dowry for her. I would see to that. The old man shook his head. There could be no question of marriage, he said. But should I ever hear from her that she is unhappy, and I can arrange to fly with her, I will assuredly avail myself of your offer, and take her to Tripatli, rejoiced indeed that at my death there will be a shelter open to her. And now, can I aid you in any way, Sahib? One of my friends, a merchant, could get the horses for you without difficulty. He has often occasion to buy them for purposes of his trade." Thank you, Pertraub. I had intended to buy them myself, but doubtless it will be safer for somebody else to do so. What I was going to ask you was to let me know of some place on the other side of the river, where the horses could be kept until I wanted them. That I can do, Sahib. I have a friend, a cultivator. His house stands by itself on this side of the first village, the one half a mile beyond the fort. It's the only house this side of the village, so you cannot mistake it. It lies about a hundred yards back from the road. I will go over and arrange with him that, when two horses arrive, they shall be placed in his stalls, and remain there until one arrives who will say to him, after greeting, 
the word Madras. To him he is to deliver the horses at once, whether he comes by night or day. That would do admirably, Pertrobe. Of course, I shall also want saddles and bridles. How much do you think it will come to altogether? I do not want showy horses, but they must be animals capable of performing a long journey, and of travelling at a fair rate of speed, the faster the better. We are likely to get seven or eight hours' start, at least, but must, of course, travel fast. As long as all goes well, I shall keep to the main roads, but if there is a breakdown or an unforeseen accident occurs, I may have to leave the road and take to by-paths. The cost of such horses would be about eighty rupees each, the saddles and bridles another fifteen or twenty. Then here are two hundred rupees, Bertram. Have you given up all hope of finding your father, Sahib? I have felt so sure that you would be successful. It seems to me that such brave efforts could not go unrewarded. No, Pertraub, I have not given it up at all. I intend to stay at Tripatli for a fortnight with my mother, and then shall come back up the ghats again. Uh, that is another matter I want to speak to you about. Of course, we should not dare to return to Seringapatam, and I think we had better settle to go to Bangalore. Could you forward our packs with the merchandise to someone in that town? Oh, there will be no difficulty in that, Sahib. There are many Hindu merchants there who have been forced to change their religion and who have frequent dealings with traders here. One of my friends will, I am sure, forward your goods with the next consignment that he sends to Bangalore. That also I will arrange to-morrow, and when you come in the evening will give you the name of the trader there, together with a letter from the one here, telling him that you are the person to whom the goods are to be given up. Thank you, Petrob. I don't know what we should have done without your assistance. It's been a pleasure to me to be of use to you, Sahib. I thought my time of usefulness was over, and it has given a real pleasure to my life to have been able to aid you. You will let me know, Sahib, if ever you find your father? Certainly, Petrob, I will, in any case, send word to you, either that I have found him or that I have given up all hope and have abandoned my efforts. The next morning a lad brought Dick a message from Petrob that he had fulfilled all his commissions, and on the following morning Annie Mansfield again came to Dick's room. "'Everything is going on well, Annie,' Dick said, as he shook hands with her. "'The horses have been bought. There is your disguise in that corner, and we can start any moment, at a quarter of an hour's notice. Now I want you to tell me how you came to be brought here.' "'Oh, I have not much to tell,' she said. "'You see, I was only six years old. I can remember there was a great deal of firing of guns, and that lasted for a long time. Then the firing stopped. I suppose the place surrendered.' "'Do you know what place it was, Annie?' She shook her head. I do not know at all. I suppose I did know then, but I do not remember ever to have heard the name. I remember quite well that there were soldiers, and father and mother and servants and many other people, and everyone was very miserable, and we all went together out of a gate, and on each side there were a great many natives with guns and swords, some on horse and some on foot, and there were elephants. I don't think I had ever seen one before, for I noticed them particularly. We went on and on and I know one of the soldiers carried me. At night we stopped somewhere, I think it was in a wood, and there were fires, and we lay down to sleep on the ground. Then I woke up suddenly, and there was a great noise and firing of guns, and someone caught me up and threw something over my head, and I don't remember anything more for a long time. I know that presently I was on horseback before a fierce-looking man. There were a good many of them, and when I cried for my father and mother, they said they would cut off my head if I were not quiet. I do not know how long we were traveling, but 
After the first day there was only the man who carried me, and another. I was brought here, and there were many people, and I was very much frightened. Then I found myself only among women, and they took off my clothes and dressed me in their fashion. I think I was very happy when I once got accustomed to it. The ladies made a sort of pet of me, and I was taught to dance and to sing little native songs. There were other white girls here, and they were all very kind to me, though they always seemed very sad, and I could not make out why they cried so often, especially when they were beaten for crying. As I grew bigger I was not so happy. I had ceased to be a plaything, and little by little I was set to work to sweep and dust, and then to sew, and then to do all sorts of work like the other slave girls. The other white girls gradually went away, the oldest first. The last two, who were two or three years older than I was, went about three years ago. At first I used to wonder why they cried so when they went, and why the others all cried too, but by the time the last two left I had come to know all about it, and knew that they had been given by the Sultan to his favorite officers. There were many white men here when I first came. When I went out with one of the slaves into the town I saw them often. Sometimes they would burst into tears when they saw me. Then I used to wonder why, but I know now that I must have reminded them of girls of their own, whom they would never see again. Then till three years ago there were about twenty white boys who had been taught to dance and sing, and who used to come sometimes dressed up like women to amuse the ladies of the harem. But I heard that they were all killed, when the Sultan first thought that the English might come here. One of the slave-girls told me that it was done because the Sultan had often sworn to the English that there were no white captives here, and so he did not wish that any should be found if they came. I don't think that I have anything else to tell you. Well, I hope that when you have told me will be enough to enable us some day to find out who you belong to. Evidently you were in some place that was besieged eight years ago, and had to surrender. The garrison were promised their lives and liberty to depart. They were attacked at night by an armed party, who may have been Hyder's horsemen, but who were perhaps merely a party of mounted robbers, who thought that they might be able to take some loot. Most likely they were defeated, especially as you saw no other captives in the party, but in the confusion of the night attack one of them probably came upon you and carried you off, thinking you would be an acceptable present here, and that he would get a reward for you from the Sultan. Are you not noticed when you go into the streets on errands? No, I always go veiled, except the slaves who are old and ugly. All the others wear veils when they go outside the palace. And we all wear a red scarf, which shows we are servants in the harem. And so even when the town is full of rough soldiers, no one ventures to speak to us. Now tell me, Dick, you see, I have not forgotten, all about how you came to be here. Dick told her briefly how he had come out with his mother, and how finding war had broken out had joined the army and how at the end of the war, having been able to learn nothing about his father, he had come up with Surajah to search for him. And then you saw that tiger break in, the girl said eagerly. That was dreadful. I will tell you how it was the tiger came to seize me. I was standing behind a lady and could not see anything. Suddenly they all began screaming and ran, some to one side, some to the other of the window. And I, who could not think what was the matter, remained where I was. When there was a great cry, and before I had time to move, or even to wonder, some great thing knocked me down. It was only from the screams of the ladies and their cries of tiger that I knew what had happened. I felt something heavy standing on me, so heavy that I could hardly breathe, and indeed I did not try to breathe, for I knew many stories of tigers, and had heard that sometimes when a man shams being dead, 
the tiger will walk away and kill someone else. The tiger was keeping up an angry growl, and I felt that unless it took its paw off me, I should soon die, when I heard a shot and a fierce growl from the tiger, and then the weight was gone, and I think I fainted. When I came round I was lying where I fell, for many of the ladies were insensible, and everyone was too busy with them to think of anything about me. When I got up, and one of the other slave-girls, who had been brave enough to look out the window, told me that the tiger had been killed by two young men, one of whom must have been the one who had fired the shot in at the window. I went and looked out, and saw it lying there, and after that everyone talked and laughed and cried, and then the Sultan's chief wife said that everyone must make a present to the young men who had saved us, and that each one ought to give one of her best jewels. Of course everyone did. I had nothing to give except a little cross of gold filigree work that hung round my neck when I was carried off. It had been hidden by my dress. The men had not noticed it, and they had not taken it away when I was brought here. It was such a poor little gift, but it was really all I had. I noticed it, Annie, Dick said. There was a little flat plate behind it with the letters A.M., and I thought then that it must be some little ornament taken from one of the English women Hyder's troops had killed. It's fortunate you kept it, for it may be useful some day in proving that you are Annie Mansfield. Now I must be going, she said. I was slapped and pinched last time for being so long, but I have several things to get today, so that if I hurry I can be back again as soon as they expect me. You have not settled when you are going yet? No, but we rather think of going the day after tomorrow. It will be better to do so before Tippoo comes back, for we might be ordered away so quickly as to have no time to make arrangements. Besides, there will be ten times as many people about in the palace, and more guards at the entrances when he returns. So altogether it will be better to go before he does so. If we settle it so, I will come along past your door tomorrow evening. And if I say, Tomorrow morning, get here as soon as you can in the morning, and directly you have stained your skin and put on your disguise, we will start. My servant who is going with us will act as your guide, and will take you to the place where the horses are, and where we shall join you, almost as soon as you get there. At the appointed time, next evening, Dick told Annie that they should start in the morning. He and Surajah then went down and said good-bye to Pertaub, and Dick gave him a letter to his aunt to give to her should he ever go to Tripatli with his daughter. It may be, he said, that neither Surajah nor I may be there, but I shall speak to her about you, and of course tell her how much you have done for us, so you may be sure of the heartiest welcome from her. And you will also find a hearty friend in my father, Rajbulub, Surajah said. He is principal officer in the Rajah's household, and will treat you as a brother, and your daughter as if she were my sister. Then they returned to the palace, where they had a final talk over the route that they would best to pursue. The nearest point to the new frontier was the territory ceded to the English on the Malabar coast, but this would entail a long sea voyage, and they therefore determined to make for Kavrapatam, going by the road that led through Anakol and then through Rayakata, which stood just outside the line of territory ceded to England, and from whence a road led directly down the passes. Anakol lay nearly due south of Bangalore, but the road they would follow would not be the one by which Tipu would return as he would come by the main road which ran in a direct line between the two cities. Ibrahim was informed of their plans and was told to warn the Sais to get their horses saddled and in readiness at eight o'clock, 
and that, as they were going for a long day's ride, he would not be required to accompany them, as he always did when they rode only into the town, for then he might be wanted to hold the horses if they dismounted and went into a shop. He was also to give notice in the kitchen that they would not return to the midday meal, and that dishes for them would therefore not be required. Thus it would be unlikely that any suspicion would be aroused by their absence until they had been gone for twenty-four hours, by which time they would be more than half-way to the frontier. They went to bed at their usual time and slept soundly, for it seemed to them both that there was practically no risk whatever to be run, and that they would be across the frontier before any active search was made for them. Even when it was discovered that they had left the palace, it would be thought that they had received some order from Bangalore, either to join the Sultan or to go on some mission for him that had occupied more time than they had anticipated on starting. The idea that two officers who were considered to stand high in Tipu's favour should desert would scarcely occur to anyone. In the morning they were up early, completed their slight preparations, and took their early breakfast, reserving a portion for Annie, who they thought would not improbably have eaten nothing before coming to them. She was a quarter of an hour late in arriving, and looked somewhat pale and flurried. "'They did not send me out this morning,' she said, "'and so I had to stay until I could slip out without being noticed. But they may miss me at any moment.' "'That will be all right,' Dick said confidently. "'They'll search all the rooms in the harem for you first, and certainly won't look for you outside, until there's been a lot of talk over your absence. But even if they do search, you'll be able in a few minutes to walk through the middle of them without being suspected.' However, we'll lose no time, and to begin with, I'll cut off what hair is necessary. I shall do it a good deal quicker than you would. Then we will leave you to yourself to stain your skin and put on your disguise. When you have finished, clap your hands. Ibrahim will come in and see that your disguise is all right, and that your turban covers your hair. Then he will go with you. We shall be waiting near the gate. There is practically no chance of your being asked any questions, but if you are, and there is any difficulty— we will pass you through all right. Having seen you on your way, we shall mount and follow you. The operation of cutting off Annie's hair to the line of her ears was speedily done. Then, with a few reassuring words, Dick joined Surajah in the corridor. As they walked down it, he said, I don't like leaving them to themselves. Look here, Surajah. You go down to the stable and mount at once. Tell the Sice I shall come for my horse in a few minutes. Then ride out and take your post where you can see them come out of the gate, and then follow them closely. I will stay here and see them safely through the gate, and then mount and follow you. I shall overtake you before you get to the ford. That will perhaps be safest, Surajah agreed, though I should think there is no chance of her being suspected, seeing that she will be with Ibrahim. Even if they met one of the palace officers, and he asked Ibrahim who he had with him, Ibrahim could say it was a lad who had come to you respecting some horses you had bought. Yes, that would do very well. Dick returned to Ibrahim, who was squatting down in the corridor near the door. I'm going to follow you until you are through the gate, and shall keep a short distance behind you. If you should meet any officer on your way out, who may ask you who you have with you, say he has come with a message to me from a trader in the town. By the time you have told him that, I shall be up. There is no chance of being questioned, my lord. People come and go all day. That is so, Ibrahim, but one cannot be too careful. They stood talking together until they heard Annie clap her hands within. Ibrahim entered at once, and in two or three minutes came out again with the girl. Ibrahim carried a bundle. You will do very well, 
Dick said to Annie. I should not know you in the least. You make a capital boy. What bundle is that, Ibrahim? I thought you took out our other disguises on yesterday to the stable where the horses are. Yes, my lord, I took them on. These are the things she has taken off. I thought perhaps it would be better not to leave them here, as if they were found it would be known that she had gone with you. I don't think it makes much difference, Ibrahim, but perhaps it's as well to bring them away. We can leave the bundle in the wood. Now go along, I will follow. Perhaps I had better go first. Keep a few paces behind me. They passed through the long passages of the palace, without attracting the slightest attention. Once or twice Dick paused to speak to some officers of his acquaintance, the others stopping respectfully a few paces away. Then he went out into the courtyard and across to the gate, and as the sentries saluted he stopped, and asked them a few questions as to the regiment they belonged to, until Ibrahim and his companion, who had passed straight through, were well away. He saw Surajah sitting upon his horse a couple of hundred yards away, and then went to the stables. End of chapter 15 Recording by Mike Harris